1: It's time for another edition of Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nigut. Thank you all so much for being with us. As if we didn't have enough to talk about already with all of the election news that is coming at us a mile a minute, we're uh, following a breaking news story that developed uh, uh, this morning um, and we're looking into right now. The second woman who accused Herschel Walker of telling her she must get an abortion a um, woman, he, she says uh, she became pregnant uh, by Herschel Walker, um, has now come forward and appears on camera in an interview with GMA, Good Morning America, this morning. And we're going to talk about what she had to say and listen to a couple of her comments uh, and talk to the panel about them. Uh, as we start the show, but we have a lot more to talk about beyond that. So let me get to the panel right now. Tamar Hallerman, senior reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, is with us today. Hey, Tamar, how are you?
0: Good morning, Bill. Happy to be here, as always.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. Alan Abramowitz, professor emeritus of political science at Emory University, is here. Um, Alan, uh, you're, we're going to ask you to talk about all the topics we have for today's show, But I'm especially going to be interested in hearing your observations on a brand new Atlanta Journal Constitution poll, which uh, gives us some interesting information as we head into the final week of the campaign. How are you today, Alan? I'm great. I hear you invited me because Trevor
2: Noah wasn't available. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> Natalie Mendenhall, our senior producer, is very excited about the fact she won a lottery ticket to go see Trevor. Oh, really? Uh, no. we'll oh, man, look, that would be yeah, fun. We'll, <laughs> <laughs> we'll look forward to hearing about that. For people who don't know, he's bringing The Daily Show uh, to Atlanta. Claire Sanders is back with his senior lecturer of political science at Georgia College and State University. How are you, Claire?
3: I'm great. Happy election month. First day of
1: November. Yeah. yeah, first day of November. And Tammy Greer, thank you for joining us again. Professor of Political Science at Clark Atlanta University. It really was. It's true, uh, Tammy. We, I woke up this morning and I thought, wow, it's November. The election is upon us. Yes,
4: it is. So many activities in the
1: next few days. All right, let me start. Let's look at this Herschel Walker story for the next few minutes. Um... We all know that there are now two women who have accused Walker of getting them pregnant and then uh, pushing them to have abortions. It becomes more interesting for a couple of reasons. One, because as you all know by now, Walker has said he supports almost uh, uh, no uh, excuses for ha- or rationale for having an abortion whatsoever, no conditions. Um, and number two, he's accused both of these women who came forward of. Lying about it. Well, the woman today has been interviewed on GMA. She does not want her name used. She goes by uh, Jane Doe in the interview, but her face is on camera. So um, let me play a, a couple of sound bites from her interview, starting with her rationale for coming forward now.
5: When I saw the first woman coming forward a few weeks ago, he immediately called her a liar and said, I never sign anything with the letter H. And I knew I had many cards from him where he signed the letter H. And so I believed then that she was telling the truth.
1: The woman said that she has kept this secret for 30 years, that's her words, and she did it to protect him. She says that she had a 6 year affair with Walker. Um, The the GMA shows on camera uh, examples of cards and letters from Walker that the woman says uh, came from from him. Um, And uh, she also says that when she told Walker she was pregnant and said she wanted to keep the baby, he had a very strong reaction to that. Let's listen.
5: He was very clear that he did not want me to have the child and he said that he said that because of his wife's family and powerful people around him that I would not be safe and that the child would not be safe that's very menacing it is very menacing
1: GMA also talked to two women who are described as good friends of Jane Doe, who said they knew about this affair while it was going on. And um, so that's what we have this morning. The Walker campaign has already pointed to his statements, their statements, when that second woman came forward saying that she is lying. But Tamara Hellerman, the fact that this woman is now on camera, um, although she is not revealing her real name Uh, nevertheless does uh, suddenly make this more real in some ways, doesn't it?
0: Absolutely. I mean, it certainly makes it, um, you know, much more tangible for for Georgia voters, much more powerful seeing her face, hearing her words on camera. Uh, But we're already seeing, you know, our friend Emma Hurt from Axios just tweeted a response from the the Walker campaign who immediately responded, just as he has with all these other um, claims about abortions from his past, quote, this was a lie a week ago, and it is a lie today, quote. So it seems like the Herschel Walker campaign is leaning on that same strategy they've been using apparently quite effectively these last couple of weeks. And the polling, as we'll discuss um, coming up, at least according to this latest AJC poll, is that he hasn't seen much of a you know downturn in his numbers because of these stories. So it, it looks like his camp is ban- banking on this kind of blanket denial is going to you know, work as Georgians continue to go to
1: the polls. You know, Claire, we, we should say that the woman says that um, she, Walker drove her to the abortion clinic, gave her cash to pay for it while he waited in the car. But she has no records of having the abortion and no record, of course, of the fact that he paid for it. I, I'm not suggesting that she's not telling the truth at all. Uh, But it's, uh, I guess you'd say, uh, it it doesn't help the story that she doesn't have anything uh, to show for it, although the first woman did. Claire?
3: So this is definitely not where um, the Walker campaign wants to be a week before the election, obviously. Um, Yesterday's AJC poll shows a dead heat between Warnock and, and Walker, um, Walker has largely benefited from the nationalization of the Senate race, despite his unfavorables. Um, and uh, what you were just saying regarding the the lack of evidence that has been presented um, regarding the abortion, the Walker campaign will will use that to poke holes in the in the story, and also will use um, questions about timing one week before the election. So expect the Walker campaign to to um, have a rebuttal in regards to um, poking holes in regards to the timing of this, um, these accusations.
1: Tammy, without regard to the polls at this point, uh, without regard to party, if this is possible, what is your reaction as a woman to now seeing the Jane Doe come forward?
4: Well, to see her face, even though we are, we don't know her name for her to be on camera uh is very powerful because um before the Walker campaign put a lot on, well, I don't know who this is, they're not I don't know who she is, what is her name, what does she look like? Um so there was um an attempt at plausible deniability because we were unsure exactly of who the person was. Um now you have someone on camera with pictures and with other images, um, with cards and, and whatnot. And so it's a bit tougher than to be dismissive as it was the first time. So it's interesting um, to see how, you know, I guess when you think about it as a woman, to be dismissed um, consistently, especially on a topic as sensitive as this, you know, kind of makes one feel a, a bit kind of a way that, you know, that there would just be this outright dismissiveness uh, rather than, you know, some type of acknowledgement.
1: All right. So, Alan, uh, all that said, we do now have this new Atlanta Journal-Constitution poll, over a thousand respondents to the poll conducted by the University of Georgia. And it does show that Warnock and Walker are in a dead heat as of right now. So just in a very general way first, and then we're going to pl- plunge into the crosstabs a bit. What's your take on whether there's, is this race baked in? You're either going to vote for Walker or you're not, and this second woman now being on camera isn't going to mean much?
2: I think that's that's probably true. Um, although I, I would say this, I, I think that all these accusations um not only the accusations about paying for abortions, but the uh, stories about the various lies that Walker has told about his own you know, background, and history, and, and, rec- and record, um, have hurt him. Um, if you look, there was a New York Times-Siena poll that just came out uh, yesterday. Um, it had a slightly different result. It had, it had actually had Warnock up by three points. Not that different. Mm-hmm. Um, but in that poll, what they found was that on personal qualities that uh, Warnock was rated considerably more favorably than Walker. Uh, Walker was in fact uh, uh, had relatively poor ratings on honesty, uh, whereas Warnock had uh, more favorable ratings on that. So I do think these accusations have hurt. Um, What's helping uh, Walker, however, is another finding from that poll, from the the New York Times-Siena poll, which is that when voters are asked um, which party do you prefer for, to control the Senate? Um, the Republicans had a four-point advantage on that question in the in the state of Georgia. Um, this was sort of a consistent finding across several of the states that they looked at. Um, that Republican candidates were performing, but you know, were underperforming relative to where the party seemed to be performing. So, so I think it's, you know, this election is going to come down to a question of what do voters care more about? Do they care more about? Uh, the character of the person that is going to be representing them in the Senate, or do they care more about just the basic question of sort of part, you know, part, partisan considerations, which party do you want to be in charge?
1: And I don't think well, that, Claire, this additional a,
2: accusation is probably not going to move the needle very much.
1: I, I apologize for interrupting there, Alan. Claire, Claire, no That's problem. essentially um, your point when you said that, um, to some extent, Walker benefits from the nationalization of the race, If, in Mm -hmm. fact, it's true that nationally uh, uh, people tend to prefer in a generic uh, contest Republicans over Democrats to control the Senate, Claire.
3: And that seems to be keeping his his poll numbers afloat or at least has um, it has kept his poll numbers afloat in the last couple of polls that we've seen. Um, I really think this boils down also to the mechanics of midterms and whether or not the mechanics of midterms will outweigh. Um, these issues like um, Dobbs and abort these accusations against um, Walker and the the enthusiasm gap that does or does not exist between the parties. The mechanics of midterms tell us that the the president's party loses um, seats in in the Senate and and in the or in Congress, and so. Um, Going to Alan's point, I, I really think this election will be interesting to see whether the mechanics take over, the power of incumbency holds true, or um, we see something different.
1: So, tomorrow, let's dig into the uh, uh, poll a little bit deeper. Uh, first of all, to uh, 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 emphasize uh, the comment from Alan about which party would you rather see control Congress uh, at the Georgia poll, your poll at the AJC says that 51% preferred the Republican Party control Congress compared to 46% for Democrats. But let's go to the Walker-Warnock race. Um, uh, Tamar, it's neck and neck. It's basically 46-45 Walker with that one point but not, not uh, meaningful advantage over uh, Warnock. But, but here's what I find really interesting, Tamar. In terms of the total population of the poll— Regardless, the question is, regardless of who you are voting for, do you like or dislike how Herschel Walker handles himself personally? 52% total population dislike. Uh, 35% say they like him. Um, and in, uh, in the Warnock, uh, on the Warnock side of the equation, 41% say they dislike how he handles himself, while 50% say they uh, uh, like how he handles himself. So, Here's the thing. Um, Walker, if you go down the line on who do you trust more on the economy? uh, Who do you trust more on preserving democracy? Who do you trust more on defending values? Warnock is ahead of of Walker in every one of those uh, sub-questions, and yet the race is a virtual tie.
0: Here's the thing, Bill. Call me a little bit uh, cynical, uh, but but to Alan's point, I think – much, you know, we really need to look at this generic ballot and kind of think of, about these candidates in terms of them being avatars for their party and their party's interests. So, I think there's plenty of voters who may not like who may not think Herschel Walker is the most honest, they may not like a lot of you know these alleged issues from his past, but still, they care a lot, of, a lot about the issues that the Republican Party right now. Uh, stands for when it comes to issues like abortion, the economy, um, healthcare. And so they're going to hold their noses and vote for Walker because they don't want Democrats in charge of the Senate anymore, or they want a check on President Joe Biden. And so I think that's um, kind of what we're seeing here and why in this poll, there's only three-tenths of a percentage point that, that separates Walker and Warnock right now in this AJC poll. I think Warnock's people are hoping that this kind of drumbeat of of allegations will cause some folks to either skip the Senate race, not vote, perhaps stay home. That could really help Warnock. But I think Joe Biden's very large disapproval numbers in Georgia are really Mm going to drag down Warnock and uh, Abrams and and many Democrats this year.
1: Um, Alan, you're the author of The Concept of Negative Partisanship. And it certainly shows itself in this poll. Um, When we break this down, uh, the questions down along party lines in the Senate race, um, 73% of Republicans say that they dislike how Raphael Warnock handles himself, regardless of who they're planning to vote for. Um, Who do you trust more on preserving democracy? 88% of Republicans say they trust Herschel Walker more. So this contest does come down to uh, a tribal uh, uh, loyalty between Republicans and Democrats. Is that a fair comment?
2: That's a fair comment. Um, we're in a time right now um, where uh, party loyalties dominate, um, where voters are very reluctant to cross party lines because they view the other party as an unacceptable alternative. So even if you're you know, not that pleased with your own party's nominee, um, you're not going to you wouldn't consider voting for the other side. Um, Republicans think Democrats are trying to destroy the country. Um, you know, they, they think they're trying to undermine fundamental American values. And Democrats, you know, also have similar feelings about about Republicans. And so we're seeing that essentially there's a there's a very small group of persuadable voters in the middle. That's who is being influenced or might potentially be influenced by these sorts of stories. Um the vast majority of voters have their minds made up. A lot of them have already voted, in fact. Um, so, you know, we're left with a small group, and the question is, um, are they paying attention, and is, is there any chance that they could be swayed, um, you know, one way or the other by these, uh, these stories? Um, and, you know, it doesn't have to sway many, so I guess it's possible that, you know, if, if it has an impact on one or 2%, uh, if it shifts the vote by one or two percentage points, that that could de- you know that could determine the outcome of this election. It's going to go right down to the wire, um, uh, and and very possibly to a runoff.
1: We should point out that's an important point that Alan makes, Tammy. Uh, this poll, like every other poll we've seen of this race, shows that neither candidate, neither Walker uh, uh, nor Warnock, are over fifty percent. Chase Oliver, the Libertarian, continues to draw enough. A uh, uh, strength, that uh, he's suppressing the ability of the other two to get over the finish line, although mm-hmm. we'll see in the week ahead. Tammy, weigh in on this.
4: So, um, again, having taught stats for political scientists, um, I would like for our listening audience to, while appreciate the poll, to understand that it's a little bit more than 1,000 people out of the almost 7 million people Inside of Georgia, who are registered and active voters, um, and then when we look at the number of, of the proportion, um, you know, just take that into consideration of you know of the the, um, the party that the that the respondents have identified with. Um, I think it's also critical for us to you know take it with a grain of salt that. Um this is a thousand people again, a little bit more than a thousand people out of the nearly seven million active voters in Georgia. So you know we shouldn't take it as well, this is how um the majority of those folks would vote and 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 for those that are you know not regularly involved into uh, politics and um policy, you know, not to take it so such that well, my vote is not gonna matter because this poll says this, and this is what
1: we've been discussing? Well, let, let's be, I do want to be a little careful, Claire. I mean, we do know that polling does have scientific, a scientific scientific basis, and I know Tammy recognizes that as well. Um, but I think more to the point on this poll, and we're going to talk about it more when we talk about the governor's uh, uh, race in a moment, is... Um, that uh, this poll, the AJC's polls, seem to have oversampled conservatives and Republicans, um, and um, and the campaigns have glommed onto that, particularly the Abrams campaign, which, uh, according to this poll, is behind by a significant margin. Claire.
3: Yes. So Republicans were oversampled by about nine points in this poll, and so um, of course the Abrams campaign pointed that out almost immediately yesterday when it was released, and. Um, one thing that I would like to point out in terms of the what's interesting to me in terms of the Walker Warnock campaign is the split ticket voting. Six percent, this poll shows, six percent of Kemp voters um, going for Warnock and five percent going for the Libertarian candidate um, Oliver. So um, we also have to keep that in mind too, that phenomenon that's taking place um, in Georgia politics right now.
1: Right. You know what? We're going to talk about the governor's race as seen through the eyes of this poll in just a moment. But why don't we get the first break of the show out of the way and come back with more on Political Rewind.
0: Thanks for listening to Political Rewind. If you like this show, you'll also like Georgia Today. It's a daily podcast from GPB News, bringing you compelling stories and in-depth reporting that you won't hear anywhere else. Join me, Peter Biello, for this quick and convenient way to get the best of GPB News's extensive coverage of the topics that matter to you, delivered directly to your device every weekday afternoon.
1: Tammy Greer, Claire Sanders, Alan Abramowitz, and Tamar Hallerman join us for today's edition of Political Rewind. where. Talking, continuing to talk about the AJC's brand new poll, the final poll uh, before the election next Tuesday, or as I said many times, we now consider the last day of uh, voting. Uh, Tamar, the uh, poll gives uh, Brian Kemp an advantage 51% to 44% over Stacey Abrams. Uh, It's important that he is the one candidate in this poll who is over the 50% threshold. And we really ought to point out that um, this poll pretty well uh, replicates what real clear politics shows as the averages of uh, among a number of polls of uh, the Kemp advantage over Abrams. They've got it at 7.6 percent. So the AJC is right in line with that tomorrow.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And one thing that really sticks out to me is is the very low number of undecided voters at this point, only 2.5 percent. So people have very strong opinions about these candidates and there's very few winnable voters. So at this point, it's really about turning out the folks that you know are going to support you. And one really notable bullet point that we see in here is that Stacey Abrams, we've talked a lot about this show, how earlier polls showed that she was struggling with uh, with black voters, and it shows that she's really closed the gap. Uh, close the gap with them, I think higher than 85 percent of of black voters, I think it was 87 um, Mm percent, are now backing her, which is a very strong number for her. I know the goal is to get 90 percent, and that definitely seems within reach.
1: Alan?
2: Yeah, I I mean, it's it's interesting that the uh, Sabato's crystal ball moved uh, the governor's race from leans Republican to likely Republican yesterday. Uh, and I think they're looking at, uh, well, you know, all the recent polling on this race that shows Brian Kemp leading, you know, in every single poll um, at, by margins ranging from three or four points up to 10 or 11 points. Um, so, again, the AJC poll is right in line with the results of, of these other polls, despite the fact that, I'm, you know, I also am a little bit concerned about <laughs> look at the partisan balance in the poll. It looks a little out of whack. Um, You know, it seems to tilt a little more Republican than it should. Um, And and there's something in the methodology of of the poll that concerns me as well. Um, And that is that um, the uh, sampling frame for determining who are likely voters excludes newly registered voters who did not vote in the primary. So you have to if you're a newly registered voter um, and there are a lot of them here in Georgia. Uh, who registered since the, the 2020 election? If you did not vote in the, in the primary in May, you are excluded. No matter what else you know, you might say about whether you're going to vote. That that bothers me. And I, I think it's a bad decision. Um, it probably doesn't affect the overall results a lot, um, but it it certainly could make a, a uh, at least a small difference. And I just don't think it makes any sense. And I, I'd like to hear someone oh, from. Involved in that poll to defend that decision.
1: Um, by, the, by the way, um, you know, we're uh, Kevin Riley, the editor in chief of the AJC, who you all know is on, on the show every Thursday. Uh, he and I have talked about some of the uh, criticisms of the uh, sample size and uh, the framing that uh, the screens that Alan just mentioned. and And Riley has said, look, we need to be transparent. And there's no no reason why you should hesitate on your show to talk about the fact that there are some reasons to wonder if this how accurate really this poll is. At the same time, Claire, um, as Alan points out, it's unlikely that either the screens, maybe the oversampling, are going to make that much of a difference. Given that all the other polls show a gap of at least five points between the two, anyway, Claire.
3: You're right. The polls have been pretty consistent in terms of um, the direction of the, of the races or very consistent in terms of the directions of all the races. Um, but to speak to Alan's point, I agree. Um, there have been 1.6 million voters added to the voter registration list since 2018. That's one fifth of the entire Georgia electorate right now. So it's very important to capture, um, those voters because, um, the latest early voting totals, a significant portion of the people who have voted early are are those new voters in Georgia, which is good for the Abrams campaign.
1: Um, Tammy, uh, if, if you're the Abrams campaign and or the Kemp campaign, there are reasons to be a little bit wary of what this poll reveals today. Of course, the Abrams people have to be concerned that if they're seen by this poll to be so far behind that their voters may not want to turn out to the polls. On the other hand, the Kemp campaign has got to be uh, careful that this doesn't convince some Republican voters, some, some Kemp voters, I don't need to bother going to the polls at all. So I, I always, when we talk about polls, am somewhat concerned about what the top line messaging is that goes out to the, to the people to the campaigns themselves and how they feel about the election coming up.
4: Right. Um, And not only that, um, so um, how do they either spin or try to um, use the information to their advantage and try to lessen some of the uh, what one may characterize as negative viewpoints that come out of the poll? I also find it interesting, though, Bill, you know, going back to another one, um, another poll about the inconsistency between the, the participant noting which candidate that they're likely to vote for, yet like the policies of the other candidate. So it'll be inter- very interesting to see, you know, how how it all comes out in the wash. Um, and uh, if they continue to vote for the candidate that's um, that's not doing the thing, the policy um, components that that same participant wants to see. Um, and then you know what happens from a voter participation standpoint thereafter once someone gets into office. Um, I, I just want to note something Bill though real quick is that we, when I was looking at the early um, the early voting numbers, um, the vast majority of the people who voted early are between 50 and 80. So mm-hmm. yeah. you know what what is going to happen there? Um, when we look at the, the, the vote totals at the end of the
1: day. Yeah, that's really a good point. The younger voters are not showing up in particularly significant numbers in the early voting demographics. Um, tomorrow, let's just add, uh, talk about a couple other uh, items in this poll uh, before we move on. Um, it looks like the AJC polled uh, the lieutenant governor's race, the secretary of state's race, and the AG's race. And in all three of those races, Uh, It looks like the Republican has uh, a a, a, a numerical advantage that might be significant. Burt Jones, in the lieutenant governor's race, leads Charlie Bailey 47 to 39. Interesting, uh, uh, Tamar, since uh, Burt Jones, uh, as you well know, having covered the special grand jury so closely, uh, is a target of their investigation because he was a fake elector. It doesn't seem (laughs) to have uh, mattered in this poll, at least.
0: Technically, he is no longer allowed to be considered a target, and that is a huge distinction oh. to make for him. Uh, Judge McBurney, who's overseeing the special grand jury, said there was a conflict of interest when the DA held a fundraiser for Charlie Bailey, his Democratic opponent, and the issue has effectively been shelved indefinitely. And that is a huge point for, for Burt Jones and allowed him to really kind of focus on this race without this kind of hanging over his head for now. Um Yes, big leads for all the Republicans in all these down-ballot races, but it's notable to say that all of them sit below 50 percent, these Republicans. So these races could get dragged into runoffs, and runoffs, as we know, can be super unpredictable. And especially if we do see, for example, Herschel Walker pulling out with a win, Republicans doing really well um, in November, there could potentially be a Democratic backlash. You could see folks really trying to organize in order to push back Runoffs are so inherently unpredictable in Georgia, and that's the last thing folks want, especially somebody like Brad Raffensperger, who's sitting there with more than 48% of the vote. He has a 10-point lead in the AJC poll over B-Win. But, I mean, as people like David Perdue can attest, you can do really well in the first round of voting and, you know, somehow lose in the runoff.
1: Alan, in 2020, particularly, 2018, when Abrams came close to Brian Kemp, um, but 2020, for sure, with Joe Biden's victory here and the election of two Democratic senators, we all said, yes, Georgia is finally a purple state. If this if this poll is an accurate indicator, um, it, it, we, what do you say about whether, in fact, we have become a purple state?
2: Uh, we have become a purple state. Um, so, you know, I think almost regardless of what happens in the elections this year, um, we're going to see Georgia continue uh, as um, one, one of the swing states for the next several election cycles. And that's a reflection of fundamental changes that have taken place in the makeup of the Georgia electorate and that are continuing to take place. So there's you know a growing share of Georgia voters who are African-American, Latino, Asian-American. Um, the white share of the electorate is gradually declining. That's That's certain to continue. It's just a function of these ongoing demographic changes in the population of the state. Um, And, you know, the fact that uh, Republicans may do well in one midterm election year, uh, you know, where we have a relatively unpopular Democratic president in the White House and people are very worried about inflation. You know, I don't think that tells us anything, uh, or uh, much at least about what we might expect going forward, particularly even in 2024. um, uh, Just as a general point, the outcomes of midterm elections don't predict what happens in the subsequent presidential election so if anyone right. thinks that Republicans have a good year in 2022 that means that a Republican is likely to be elected president in 2024 that's just that's just not the case and we can look at many recent examples of you know presidents who've seen um, their party take uh, really big set have suffer really big setbacks in midterm elections um, like Bill Clinton in 1994 like Barack Obama in 2010, uh, you know, come back uh, and and win uh, the the subsequent election. So um, I, I don't think this means necessarily much about the longer term trends here.
1: Alan, I can already see forming in your head an art, data-driven article for Sabato's Crystal Ball that you'll write on just that—the uh, impact of twenty of midterm elections on presidential elections. Following that, um, uh, t- Tammy, just be again before we get out of the poll completely. Bur Jones, as I said, leads Charlie Bailey for lieutenant governor. T- uh, uh, Tamar pointed out Raffensburger is up ten over B win and in the uh, sec- in the attorney general's race it's a bit closer Chris Carr the incumbent at 49 Jen Jordan at 42 um, certainly a, a, a smaller margin than what Raffensburg and Wynn have so uh, uh, Tammy one of the questions I guess is uh, the again the only candidate in polling who's over 50% is Brian Kemp to what extent do we imagine that Kemp is uh, perhaps leading the uh, ticket in terms of what's happening in those lower ballot races?
4: Yeah, that completely makes sense. Um, I think that, uh, generally speaking, we don't necessarily put a lot of focus on Secretary of State other than this unique situation um, from the 2020 election, um, Attorney General, um, Secretary of um, the you know, Agriculture Commission and so forth. I don't think that we really put enough attention to them. Um, for there to be, you know, a major impact. And, and we've seen when we look at the ballot results that the down ticket uh, races, even though that there are statewide races, receive a less per, um, number of votes as compared to the top of the ticket because we really don't have that that much uh, dialogue about it. Um, at the same time, um, it is, you know, we can agree um, that that the Secretary of State, because the Secretary of State was in line with the governor, um after the 2020 election and then you know perhaps some um the attorney general and some of these other races will get pulled up because of brian Kemp. that makes sense
1: all right okay um tomorrow just before we get to our final break of the show and turn to other subjects let's point out that uh, mike pence former vice president's here today to campaign with uh kemp uh to the best of my knowledge, and I think I'm correct about this Herschel Walker will be nowhere in sight, uh, which is interesting. Kemp has kept his distance from Herschel Walker, although he did tell CNN in an interview I think just last night that he will definitely vote for Herschel Walker because he 's concerned about issues of the economy tomorrow
0: Sure. And there's an interesting kind of dividing line right now when it comes to, to Pence and Trump and Herschel Walker and, and Brian Kemp. You've seen Pence uh, take an increasingly vocal stance about his relationship with Brian Kemp. He has a book coming out. We, we we're just starting to see some, some uh, little excerpts from that book where he talks about the pressure campaign to get him to uh, overturn the Electoral College results on January 6th. Um, you're starting to see him campaign for folks that Donald Trump really hated, including Brian Kemp. Um, and at the same time, of course, you've seen Herschel Walker endorsed by Donald Trump, keep his distance. So it's an interesting kind of unspoken dividing line here in Georgia.
1: Um, yeah, in the in the book, The Hill had an excerpt from the book uh, just the other day. And in it, Pence reportedly says uh, that a meeting between uh, uh, President Trump at the time and campaign lawyers and outside attorneys after the 2020 election that, that uh, 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 Pence was a part of called it a new low in their efforts to figure out a way to overturn the results of the election. Let's take our final break of the show and come back. Let's talk about the arguments in the Supreme Court yesterday on affirmative action uh, in university settings. This is Political Rewind. Claire Sanders, the United States Supreme Court, yesterday heard arguments in a case that uh, most people consider to uh, be one of the most important that they will decide on, certainly in this term, and one of the most important since uh, conservatives became a supermajority on the court. Let me just read the Wall Street Journal lead of their story today. The Supreme Court heard some five hours of arguments Monday over whether colleges can consider race in admissions decisions, a practice it approved in 1978 and has since reaffirmed, but one that today's more conservative majority is ready to reconsider. And that's where it came out of this yesterday, Claire. The conservative justices uh, made it quite clear in their questioning, and these are suits uh, over uh, admissions at Harvard uh, affirmative action admissions at Harvard and the university of North Carolina. Uh, and the justices seem to make it clear they're not buying this notion that race should be at least one. should be a factor, not the principal factor, but any kind of factor in, uh, uh, giving a student an acceptance to the universities.
3: Yes, there was definitely skepticism among the conservative justice yesterday during oral arguments. Um, since 2003, um, the Grutter Supreme Court case um, that had to do with the University of Michigan's um, law school admission policies, um, the court found that the Fourteenth uh, Amendment and the Civil Rights Act um, does not um, does allow for um, colleges to use race as a factor, not the predominant factor, but a factor in college admissions policies. So race-conscious admission policies have been the norm, and so the, the conservative justice being skeptical of some of these arguments just um, signals that we may be in for another um, interesting landmark ruling um, at the end of this term that changes the, the scope of um, college admissions policies.
1: Uh, tomorrow, one of the number of lawyers who were arguing in this case, and and who was one who was arguing uh, for retaining the policy, said that being African American or or Hispanic, or in some instances being Asian American, can provide one of many many tips. Chief Justice Roberts said, "Yes, but you have to concede that if it provides one of many, then in some cases it will be determinative. Race will be a determinative factor." Uh, the lawyer answered. I do, I do concede that, but then he says, race for some highly qualified applicants can be the determining factor, just as being the, you know, an oboe player in a year in mm. which the Har- Harford Radcliffe Orchestra needs an oboe player will be the mm. tip. To which Justice Roberts replied, and this will be remembered for a long time. "Quote: Yep." But we did not fight a civil war about oboe players. We did fight a civil war to eliminate racial discrimination, and that's why it's a matter of considerable concern. Tamar?
0: What stuck out to me was a quote from Samuel Alito, who, of course, wrote the the Dobbs decision uh, last term and he really questioned what the term underrepresented minority means. And he kind of framed the college admissions process as a zero sum game. So if you're going to grant advantages to one unrepresented minority, that necessarily kind of disadvantages another. There's only so many slots in a freshman class. And so that that really stuck with me. Um, and I'm curious how much that sentiment makes its way into a final ruling if that's what the conservative branch of the court if that's how they're they're framing their decision.
1: Um, let, let me take it away from just the arguments themselves and and talk to uh, our college professors about affirmative action and diversity on campuses. Um, Tammy, um. Well, let me bring it back to the court. Clarence Thomas, Justice Thomas yesterday, said at one point, I've heard the word diversity multiple times, and I don't have a clue what it means. You haven't given me the educational benefits. Tammy? Um,
4: First, uh, Clarence Thomas benefited from affirmative action. And I think that we lose that as uh, one of those items when Clarence Thomas is ever mentioned when it comes to affirmative action or um, as the former head of the EEOC, right? So he understands clearly. Um, So I don't know if he was attempting to be coy or dismissive. He knows clearly what that means. Um, Secondly, um, I find it fascinating that individuals who, again, are of spaces of privilege are able to say that one thing or another is race neutral when, again, um, the vast majority of the Supreme Court, very small percentage, single digit has ever been someone other than a white male. And let's also be clear that the vast majority of the individuals that have ever sat on the Supreme Court have been from these elite institutions. So it's very interesting um, that there seems to be almost a willful ignorance or a willful deniability of the impact that having um, diversity within institutions of higher education has on um, the overall professional and workforce in this country.
1: Well, let me, Alan, in fact, that's exactly what Justice Kagan had to say in this case Mm -hmm. yesterday. She said, quote, these are the pipelines to leadership in our society. And exactly. if universities aren't racially diverse, then all of those institutions aren't going to be racially diverse either. Alan,
2: and she's exactly right about that. Um, you know, and 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 I think it's rather, but what we're what we're seeing here, I think, uh, uh, in terms of the opinions being expressed by the conservative members of the conservative majority uh, on the court, is uh, this attitude that. These problems of racial discrimination and racism are are now behind us um, and we've seen this in the we saw this in the voting rights cases you know it's it's not a problem anymore uh, and and this uh, these concerns are just outdated but a- anyone who's looked at what's going on in American society and and knows that that's nonsense um, and, and um, you know the fact of the matter is that colleges and universities um, consider a whole range of criteria in determining whom to admit in um, including factors that clearly give an advantage to uh, uh, to, to uh, ap- applicants who come from backgrounds of privilege um, for example legacy admissions um, you know legacy admissions uh, are, are uh, comprise a significant share of those admitted to elite institutions of higher learning uh, also um, frankly they Economic considerations, uh, the ability—for uh, example—we know that children of very wealthy individuals are often, you know, given an advantage because colleges and universities are hoping that at some point, you know, there will be uh, significant donations made. So, you know, th- there are a whole range of factors you mentioned—you know, musical talent, athletic ability, um, extracurricular activities. Now, all of these things are taken into a- a- account uh, and. Uh, taking your know, race and ethnicity I- into account, it strikes me as uh, uh, you know reasonable, as long, very reasonable, as long as it's, it's not you know it's not the only factor, it's not even the dominant factor. Um, but it's clear here, I think, that the court is going to, is going to uh, once again uh, overturn a uh, major precedent that the conservative majority, uh, 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 probably all six, uh, or certainly at least five of the six, already. And willing to overturn this this precedent, just as they did on the on the abortion uh, case. This is a this is a, a, a radically conservative uh, court now that we're dealing with, and we're going to be dealing with for some time to come.
1: Claire, um, we we understand when a Justice Kagan uh, talks about how you're creating a pipeline for minorities to uh, find their way into leadership positions in society eventually. But I'd like, if you don't mind. What does it mean, just in a very specific way, that a campus like Georgia College is diverse? Why is that advantage? Help us understand what it means to you as a professor, to the students around you, what's the, what's the value?
3: Oh, The diversity of the university, the diversity of colleges around the country benefits the community, benefits the state, benefits the, the country as a whole. Um, you bring when you bring diversity in your classrooms, you also add to the, the knowledge the, the your professors learn, your, your fellow students learn um, from people from all different backgrounds. And as Alan mentioned, um, there's been more of a race-conscious, holistic process that has been used for college admissions, not just based on race as one of the factors, but also a host of factors. I mean, think about, like, geographic. Um, diversity, having students from um, the urban um, areas of the state, the rural areas of the state, that adds to um, the value of diversity as well. So it's not just um, race and ethnicity um, as the predominant factor, but also other factors as well that um, we benefit from in terms of um, learning and growing as students and, and academics.
1: Um all right. Tomorrow, one last aspect of this um, that, that that relates to this notion of uh, how there are, how colleges and universities, if if the court overturns uh, uh, using an affirmative action basis in admissions, what are you going to do when uh, people have life experiences that um, do in fact suggest that they ought to be uh, admitted, perhaps because they bring a different perspective because of their uh, race or ethnicity, or whatever. Katanji Brown Jackson said, if if this court overturns this, could a black student not gain admission for to UNC or Harvard if he or she wrote an essay noting that her ancestors were barred from attending the university, while one who referred to generations of affiliation to the school could get a bump uh, for that. That in itself, Tamar, is an interesting question if the court moves forward and overturns this uh, uh, affirmative action program.
0: And that might be something that gets litigated and works its way through the court system. How much detail is the Supreme Court going to give in terms of what is and is not allowed? How does that guidance get interpreted by universities? That will, of course, be litigated up and down the court system um, for years to come, but I think overall if these standards are overturned, I think everyone is expecting a lot of these elite institutions to have a lot more white students and a lot more Asian students.
1: All right, Tamar Hallerman, you get the last word for today's uh, political rewind because we are out of time. So Tamar, thank you for being with us. Tammy Greer, Clara Sanders, Ellen Abramowitz, thank you for a very full and rich conversation uh, about the topics that we looked at today. We did not talk about the crazy right wing conspiracy theories that are now finding their way into mainstream conversations about what happened to Paul Pelosi, who was attacked with a hammer in his home in San Francisco. It's pretty outrageous. We will talk about it on the show tomorrow, among many other subjects that we'll get to. In the meantime, we are out of time, so thank you for being with us today. We're back tomorrow. In the meantime, take care, stay healthy, get a flu shot, and get a booster for COVID while you're at it. Take care, everybody.